Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. If you aren't receiving my weekly email newsletter, go to unchainedpodcast.com to sign up. And don't forget that Unchained and Unconfirmed are now on YouTube. You can go subscribe there to be alerted to all the latest episodes of both podcasts. Crypto.com is the place you can buy crypto at true cost. Earn up to 8% per year on your BTC, ETH, XRP, and more. Install the Crypto.com app now. CypherTrace cutting-edge cryptocurrency intelligence powers anti-money laundering, blockchain analytics, and threat intel. Leading exchanges, virtual currency businesses, banks, and regulators themselves use CypherTrace to comply with regulation and to monitor compliance. Today's guest is Ryan Zurer, former Chief Commercial Officer and Director at the Web3 Foundation and former Principal and Partner at Polychain Capital, who recently proposed a new DAO that is also called VDAO. Welcome, Ryan. Hey, Laura. Um, thanks very much for having me on. Uh, super excited to be here and, and talking with you again. Yeah, I'm also excited because I feel like there's this new trend, or it's sort of like an old trend that is being revived, which is DAOs. And you are proposing one that is basically a throwback to the infamous DAO. So what is this DAO that you are creating? Yeah, so it takes some of the, the tenants from the original DAO, um, you know, principally that this is a, a pool of capital, both financial and human capital, that's designed to, uh, you know, generate value. And, uh, and so we're excited about, uh, about that mission. But then it also has a number of new uh, architecture components to it that uh, we're really excited. I think the space has moved uh, a long way since the original DAO in, in 2016. And now we have sort of the sets of tools and technologies and lessons learned from, uh, you know, previous mistakes made that we can compose kind of a more thoughtful, um, elegant DAO structure that allows people to come in and participate and generate value and hopefully participate in some of that value. And so what are some of these differences or improvements on the original DAO? So, um, one really interesting sort of keystone to DAOs that uh, I'm very excited about is the the opportunity to have reputation weighted peer review. Um, so what we need is a mechanism where people can come in and, and perform work and propose deals and uh, you know make things happen, and they can have confidence that if they if they propose great things and values created that they can share in that val and that upside. Um, and that allows, you know, really talented people, uh, the confidence that if they bring their talents here, they can, um, you know, they can, can capture significant value if they generate great value. And so, um, 
I'm really excited about a new set of technologies coming out of Protocol Labs, a project called uh, SourceCred that mixes um, some objective components that uses uh, Google PageRank on things like GitHub commits and Discord posts, but then also mixes that with some subjective components, which is reputation-weighted peer review. So for example, like in the context of Protocol Labs, where the founder Juan Benet is sort of like the spiritual and and technical leader of that of that team, he has a lot more weight when he gives out cred to his team than say somebody who's only been there for a few weeks. So having this very thoughtful approach of mixing objective measures like what you've done on on, on GitHub with uh, how you've interacted with your team and what kind of things your team thinks that uh, has generated the most amount of value for that team is a good way to remunerate. Um, uh, participants in a decentralized organization. Uh, and that's really a, a big step forward for us, something that we didn't know and we didn't know how to solve at the time of the last DAO. Um, we didn't know how people would, you know, would essentially be paid for their participation in that DAO. I like the idea of a more objective measure, but the one thing is that some of the components of what you just described are objective. And then there's one that to me appears to be subjective, which is the one where it's like, you know, Juan Benet can rate one of the coders on his team or something, because I could see that getting political. And then it's sort of like what we saw in the financial crisis, where the uh, ratings agencies were being paid by the banks, and then therefore they kept giving good grades. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like the other things like the GitHub commits and stuff that definitely seems subjective to me. But, but how, you know, do you have a way to uh, kind of prevent that other one from becoming a, a you know, you, you pat my back, I'll pat yours type situation? Yeah, absolutely. And so I think the goal here with this doubt generally, as well as source cred generally, is to try to grandfather in uh, sort of decentralization and uh, and a uh, um, objective approach over time that you start out being probably more highly subjective because on the flip side, you know, things like um, GitHub commits and discord posts and things like that could be gamed. And now there's, there's a really elegant um, approach to this using Google page rank so that it limits gaming, but you still can, you know, uh, effectively game the system in, in, in some instance. So at the start of the project, you want to have some level of checks and balances within like the human part of the organization and then slowly migrate to be more and more objective over time. So that, um, say, as politics would naturally increase in an organization over time, in fact, you're taking the, the edge off of that, that political sort of beast, so to speak, and making things more objective over time, thereby limiting the politics in the organization, and hopefully then actually leading to an organization that has, say, less politics in it than um, than you would otherwise see in an organization that just scales. Okay, yeah. And oh, yeah, man, gaming these algorithms, that's definitely another really big issue. Um, well, so another thing I was curious about is like, so why, why did you decide to revive the DAO? I mean, that is easily one of the most notorious projects ever <laughs> in the history of crypto. So what made it what motivated you to, I guess, try to redeem the name? 
So, um, incidentally, this started right from, from the death of the previous DAO. I mean, I was, uh, really excited about that DAO, um, uh, had then in the blow up, uh, sponsored the white hat group and got to know some of the, the, the great team that, that led that white hat group, like Jordi Bellina and Alex Vanessan and those guys. Uh, and then after the, and really at, at the start of the DAO, I wanted to, you know, do what I do, find good deals and propose, propose that to the DAO and participate in the DAO as an investor, but also work for the DAO. And I thought this was kind of the coolest, most sci-fi thing I could be doing in the space. And it really excited me. So then when it blew up, I was like, okay, well, I got to go and find something else to do here. And that's what led me to, to find Olaf and seed Polychain and then step into Polychain in an operational capacity in the weeks um, following its inception. Um, and so, but I've always really wanted to have the DAO back. And today I make the observation that if the DAO had survived, today would be the largest capital pool in the space. And the quality of the due diligence that we were seeing in those early days of the DAO was far better than anything we saw in the ICO craze of, you know, circa 2017. And so if the DAO had survived, it probably would have actually um, tempered that, uh, that hysteria that we saw in 2017 because the bar to, to, get over and and have the review and the due diligence done by the DAO community would have been really high. And a lot of teams that went on to raise subsequent money in, in ICOs probably would not have had that really important signal from the DAO and the community-led due diligence that I was very, very impressed with. And so really, um, it's just been a strong internal desire ever since to, to like live kind of the true crypto anarchist ideals of working for this kind of sci-fi futuristic organization. And then also a recognition that it was doing really good work uh, at that time. And so I, I would like to see the experiment um, be played out uh, in its entirety and see if we can't, you know, crowdsource deal flow. And if we can't um, get great decisions and strategy using the wisdom of the crowd, I think it could be really compelling. And then, um, I've spent a lot of time in China over the last year and have found that really for me, uh, Web3 is happening in China more than anywhere else on the planet. And I've been really inspired by a lot of the work uh, from that developer community and the fact that they're, you know, really using this stuff. And I would love for a mechanism that allows a kid in Beijing who may not have a, you know, government ID, but maybe a really badass coder. Uh, be able to contribute some, you know, some of the capital that he, she has, but then also contribute some of the, the intellect that she has and be able to work for this thing and, and understand that if she works hard and she does, um, contribute significant value to, to this organization that she can, she can, uh, you know, be remunerated and be recognized and be proud of the, the work that she does. And so, um, I think the tools have come together now and we've had enough experiments with DAOs that, uh, that we can, that we can revisit this, this grand experiment once more. All right. We're going to discuss how this DAO will work as well as the legality of it. But first a quick <laughs> word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Will the world follow France and advocate banning privacy coins? Will government backed stable coins become the new fiat? 
Are distributed and peer-to-peer exchanges just a flash in the pan? The answer is maybe. Virtual currencies can flourish and create a new, private, and more versatile economy. But that grand vision can't happen without keeping crypto clean. And that requires support of governments and accountability for bad actors. Privacy-enhanced compliance using cryptographic controls has the potential to preserve anonymity without compromising legitimate investigations. CypherTrace is working on this vision of the future. Sign up to stay up to date on the Privacy-Enhanced Compliance Initiative and receive authoritative crypto AML reports quarterly. www.cyphertrace.com slash keep crypto clean. Crypto.com is the place you can buy crypto at true cost. You can buy over 40 coins at the lowest possible prices with no fees and no markups. At Crypto.com, we grow your crypto for you too. You can earn up to 8% per year on BTC, ETH, XRP, and more when you deposit in any of the one-month, three-month, or flexible terms. Download the Crypto.com app on iOS or Android now. Back to my conversation with Ryan Zur. So why don't you briefly describe kind of what the structure is for this DAO and how it's going to work? Sure. So I would recommend anybody who's interested to go and take a look at the white paper uh, on the GitHub, uh, GitHub um, slash the dash DAO. Um, and, you know, we're, we're super open to feedback from um, from anyone. But essentially at the top level, you have a clean capital pool uh, that anybody can onboard or, or offboard um, from, um, onboard into or offboard from. And then the work of managing a professional fund is all pushed down to what we call leagues. And these leagues are, are DAOs in and of themselves that are service organizations and they perform services for the DAO and they're, and they're paid um, by the DAO uh, via an inflation mechanism. So the DAO only pays out, it doesn't pay the underlying capital that it receives. So it'll receive, say, some Ether and wrapped Bitcoin and maybe MKR and certainly a lot of DAI and things like that. And we'll hold a capital pool. And then that capital pool, uh, you've got a proxy token, which is the DAO. And then that the DAO token inflates in order to make payments, payments for services and also payments for investments. So the, the services necessary to run a professional fund like compliance and ops and, you know, venture deal flow and treasury management um, and dev due diligence, those are pushed down to the leagues and those leagues perform these services for, for a fee from the DAO. And then uh, via multi-sig, certain, certain leagues come together in order to agree to inflate DAO tokens in a given mandate to make investments. And a mandate is during a period of time uh, a set of leagues will perform a series of activities that is um, governed by some permissions and intended to create a specific output. So, for example, a, a mandate could be the leagues will deploy 10% of the capital uh, into you know privileged opportunities over the course of one year and no single opportunity uh, can have more than 1% of the DAO um, deployed in, uh, into it, and you can put on whatever other permissions that you want. And so then these people go out, 
find and evaluate deals. Uh, and, and then when those deals are, are to happen, inflate DAO tokens, issue those to, to the projects. The projects then have a token which has an underlying collateral to it, somewhat similar to DAI or maybe like BNB um, or something like that. And at any point, the, the project or an investor can redeem the underlying collateral. So that's a basket of ETH and wrapped BTC and, and, and DAI and, and other things like that. Um, but uh, if they want, they can just hold that DAO token or use that for a payment, and it's generally long the space, however, not um, as volatile as any of those single underlying assets. So we call this stabler coins, right? It it's a it's sort of a basket coin that you can spin up on Melonport and um, and be again long crypto by holding it, but not irresponsible in being exposed to only one asset like Bitcoin or ETH or, or whatever single asset you would, you would take capital into. Um, so at a high level, that's kind of the, the overarching architecture, but then we can kind of dive deeper into some of the, um, the principles inherent um, in this DAO. Well, one of the leagues that I want to ask you about is this compliance league, uh-huh. because they, at, at least from what I could glean from the white paper, they're sort of like the DAO curators, which for people who weren't around for the first DAO were um, a group of people who were kind of like big names in Ethereum, basically, who would essentially kind of vet proposals before they went before the DAO just to make sure that the um, the people that what they were proposing actually matched um, their code and that they were the people that they were saying that they were and, you know, just kind of a, a, almost like a verification. Yep. But so for your compliance leak, isn't that kind of like a point of centralization? And I definitely know that in the SEC's DAO report that the curators were, you know, one of the key reasons that they express that DAO tokens were securities since the profits from the DAO could be said to depend on the actions of these curators. So how is your compliance league different or, or is it not? Are you, are you going to make your DAO token security tokens or how will that part work? No. So certainly the token is not a security and we can kind of dive, dive deeper into that, but to, to the compliance league. So the compliance league itself, you know, from the first mandate and beyond would be its own DAO. The, the big question is how do you do the first whitelisting of the different options of mandates so that you're not civil attacked and you, and DAO token holders don't have to decide between, you know, a hundred different proposals of mandates. And then you, and then each person has to evaluate those um, for themselves. We want kind of a whitelist so that DAO token holders only if they want to only have to interact with the DAO say once per mandate. Let's let let's assume that a mandate's like a year in time. We don't want over participation by DAO token holders. So how do we get to a to a whitelisted group of say a multiple choice um, uh, question A B C D and E being you know four sets of different proposals and then E being none of them you know redo the the mandate proposal period. And for that, as of right now, we propose using Aragon Court 
as a as an initial uh, whitelisting mechanism. Aragon Court is a, a, a decentralized dispute resolution um, process that can be used for some esoteric decisions such as this. And we're working with Aragon to have an appeal mechanism that would go to the DAO token holders so that you're not, say, subject to ANT holders. Now, we've seen Aragon uh, and the Aragon uh, token holders make very coherent, dare I say, intelligent decisions as a group thus far. So um, we can use that as a whitelisting mechanism to start. And then from there, once you've decided on a, uh, a compliance league, which should hopefully be, you know, a collection of lawyers adequately, you know, geographically dispersed and, and so on and so forth, they act in that compliance fa- manner as a check and balance for all the deployments, but they don't act alone, right? So let's say you're making an investment into a, into a project. That investment requires uh, a multi-sig to be signed off between the treasury who makes sure that it, it checks that the, the investment is in line with the permission. So in our example, say not above 1% of, of total assets under management and so on and so forth. It has to be proposed by the Venture League, who's found the, the deal and basically negotiated the deal. It would need to have a check from the Developer League, so that uh, technical due diligence is done, has been done. And then it needs to have a check from the Compliance League, which again is a DAO, hopefully made up by lawyers around the world who um, who will check that you know we're not doing anything inherently wrong here. And, uh, say like funding a dark DAO or something that, that, that shouldn't be funded. Um, and these being DAOs in and of themselves, I would argue is not necessarily a point of centralization or it's decentralized enough that it's not, say, just a, a, a committee in a room, um, the way that the original whitelisting process uh, was set up for the original DAO. We thought a little bit further on that and created a series of checks and balances between these different entities. And one other thing that's important here is, so let's say the compliance league, uh, you know, turns malicious or any one of the leagues turns malicious. There's a mechanism that we call a Benny switch. And this is named after Benedict Arnold, the famous American trader that quickly allows DAO token holders to stake and make a proposal for a new mandate vote and switch out a malicious league. So if you've accidentally voted in a mandate where league, where a league is acting maliciously or maybe, maybe even just incompetent, not, not, um, acting maliciously, but just not in line with the ideals of the DAO, you can quickly switch them out, um, via staking mechanism, which again, these more advanced crypto economic models, lead us to the conclusion that, you know, it's very, very difficult to classify this as equity. Um, and I would argue that the, you know, the attempt to, to say, classify something this complex as um, a security isn't just trying to fit a round peg into a square hole. It's really trying to fit an octahedron peg into a square hole, <laughs> right? Uh, that's a that's an Ethereum joke, I guess. <laughs> right, <laughs> but it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, this is 
quite a different animal from a traditional security. Um, well, so how much do you aim to raise and when do you think this will be deployed? So um, we would like to get this out somewhere around the end of the year. However, um, I've been um, fortunate and, and very grateful to accompany um, many project launches in this space. And I understand um, uh, very acutely that the security audit process uh, it can often delay projects. And this will be one of the most robust security audit processes that our space has ever seen. It better seen. be. It will be. It will be. No <laughs> amount of, of resources will be spared um, in, oh in, in, in ensuring that. Um, could you imagine if this like blew up? Like, <laughs> oh my goodness. I, uh, I'm, I'm amazed that you're laughing at that. Of course I'm laughing, but <laughs> um, all right. And then actually we're over time, but just one last question. Why are you calling it the Dow? Just like the old Dow. So um, it's really, to be honest, a placeholder uh, until a, you know, until the community comes up with a name that they resonate okay, with. Wait, but Ryan, Ryan, don't you know that the old name was also a placeholder? <laughs> um, yeah, but it just fits so well, right? It's just like it, we had, okay. honestly, okay. we had dozens of different names uh, up until now, and they're kind of floating around in, in, in early versions. Um, like originally, actually, it was called um, VC DAO, not like venture capital DAO, but value creation DAO. Um, but then mm. it just, uh, it, you know, we, we just decided to embrace, uh, embrace what it is. And, um, I went in and spent some time with Christian Jens, who was kind of the, the, the spiritual and technical leader of, of the original Dow and, and asked him for his feedback and, and blessing on the use of that name. And, and we had a good joke on how, you know, it was just a placeholder then, and it's kind of a placeholder now. And hopefully if, <laughs> if you know. Uh, we can get to a point where the community scales. I'm optimistic that, you know, if the wisdom of the crowd leads to good investments, the wisdom of the crowd will also lead to, to, to good nomenclature. And so we'll find a, we'll find a name over time. And if not, I'm perfectly happy with the name the way that it is. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, we'll see if that ends up being a curse or a blessing that you're matching the Dow already on those points. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, well it's been great having you. Well, thanks so much again. <laughs> oh, no. oh, yeah. No, it's been fun. I mean, uh, yeah, when I was reading this, I was like, this is definitely very interesting. It's definitely very new, um, very different uh, in certain ways from the previous DAO. So, yeah, it's we'll just one of these things happens. that at this point in my career in the space, I just want to work on something that feels really inspiring and sci-fi that I can like go around and and share the ideals of of this type of community with. Um, with people all around the world. And uh, I've been... Yeah. It, well, one thing is actually reading it, I was like, oh, this really draws on Ryan's experience. Yeah, certainly my fingerprints are, are, are in different points. And it's very much designed to really disrupt the um, kind of the mental models and, and, and kind of startup economics of Silicon Valley, which I, I, I don't understand why they continue to permeate that way. Um, and... And, and hopefully we can create a community that's centered around um, delivering great value. Uh, and uh, I'm excited to watch the experiment unfold. Yeah, me too, for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on Unconfirmed. 
All right. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about the topics we discussed, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Factual Recording, Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Rich Truffolino, and Josh Durham. Thanks for listening.